Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Matthew and Aaron Miller. We have got quite the topic tonight. Much to discuss when looking into the fallen. The who, what, where, when, why becomes very tricksy. But tonight we're going to look into the book of Enoch using my son's new translation, Key to Strong's. And we're going to try to establish the mens rea. What is the reason why they done this dastardly deed? So, Aaron, what is your initial thoughts, and especially what most people think that the sole intent of the fallen was? Well, um, there's a huge... Uh controversy about the whole topic and I, and I don't know um, if you're going at um, the idea of the point of view of of the book of Enoch or the idea of the fall in general well most particularly we're not going to get caught up in the quagmire of the fall of Satan uh, this is exclusive of that we're going to look at the Genesis 6 event and them falling. Now, let me just give my comments about that. They all say exclusively that the whole reason why the scapegoat fell was due to lust, sexual immorality. That was the intention. They fell exclusively to have marital relations with the women because they were beautiful. Let's take a look at this, Aaron. What's your thoughts on that? Is that true? Uh, after translating the book of Enoch, what are your thoughts? Is that the sole reason why they fell? Was just to uh, commit fornication with beautiful women. Your thoughts? Well, um, first of all, um, I'm just going to read out of uh, Genesis chapter 6. Verses 1 to 4, in the, um, which concerns the fall of the angels, as you just mentioned. Um, I'm going to read it out of the NASB. And um, uh, just before I go, I'm going to let you know, I'm just going to put out there that this is a defective translation, and most translations are. Anyway, so, now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land that and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children unto them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Um, sometimes I feel like I just need to make my own translations these days. Um, but where you said it was out of lust. Well, the first thing I want to point out is that um, verse 2, and it says, the sons, of daughters, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. That word for beautiful, Hebrew, is uh, H2O. Eight nine six, which means tobe. It means good, uh, pleasant or agreeable. Um, then we move over to the um, when we move over to the Septuagint. Um, it says also kalos uh, G two five seven zero means good or valuable. 
So, um, is this really saying that they were beautiful or that they were valuable to them? And um, uh, that, that was something that really stood out to me when I started my translation in um, uh, chapter 6 of Enoch, and it says, um, it goes into a little bit more depth. And um, Enoch chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that the sons of men multiplied, and in those days they constantly bore daughters who were beautiful and valuable. Okay, um, that word for beautiful in the NASB translation of Genesis 6 is actually what I've rendered valuable. But here, I've rendered beautiful, the first word, to G5611. It literally means uh, to be seasonable or flourishing, I guess. However you want to. It means an hourly of season. So, um, this gives two intents. Okay, so it says that they were beautiful and they were valuable. So, I, um, I think, so, um, I believe that there is something much deeper than faith, face value. I think that these angels had an intent from the beginning. And um, uh, the, my first thinking was, is uh, how can an angel uh, fall, being uh, spiritual and um, not in a physical sense as being flesh and blood as um, uh, Ephesians uh describes, but, so, it's, so, just think about lust. Lust is a fleshly desire. So, if the, these entities, as we, um, as we touched on in the Skinwalker episode, um, were to have eventually decided to clothe themselves in flesh to come down here on earth to commit what their task is, that means that Lust wasn't the first idea. And that could have couldn't have been lust from the beginning. They wouldn't have had to don human uh, earthly flesh in order to even experience lust. Uh, is that not true? That would be the case. Now, I find it very interesting that the word here used uh, in the book of Enoch... It's it's very important that everybody realizes everything that's going on here, uh, because this this word is used. Oh well, let's take for example, First Timothy five twenty five. In like manner, also the good works of some are open and manifest. Now, there is no doubt as to the intent and purpose uh, of this word this uh, G2570. It's mentioned numerous times in these scriptures tied directly to this works. Uh, let's bring up Titus chapter 3, verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Now, it seems like to me, you read the next verse, and this is where it comes in. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after the first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. I take note that the list here for that which is opposite of good works is all tied up in this, that, that, that it's obvious. And we can go on and on with this. Uh, there's no doubt that this word does not mean beautiful. It, it doesn't. And um, I just read uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and I'm actually going to move on to verse 2. It says, And the angelic sons of heaven beheld them, and desired them. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us choose for ourselves wives from mankind, so that they might bear for us children. So this wasn't this wasn't because they liked the women. It's because they wanted them to bear them children. And it's very, very evident here. And it, what I think the the first place to go to capture the real intent, perhaps, is in chapter 15. This is where God um, replies to these angels. See, in, in the preceding chapters, the these fallen angels tried to get Enoch to uh, um, intercede with God in heaven to forgive them. And um, so this is what God replied. Um, I'm gonna, just going to read the whole chapter. It says, And he answered and said to me, O oh, man of truth, O oh, man who is the scribe of truth, he whose voice I have heard, do not fear, Enoch, man of truth and scribe of truth. Come here and hear my voice. Depart and say to those who sent you, you should be praying for man and not men for you. Because of this, you have abandoned the high, holy, and eternal heaven and have slept with women and have defiled yourself with the daughters of men and have taken for yourselves wives as the sons of earth do and even conceived for yourselves children and your sons are earthborn. And though you were holy and your spirits who live eternally, Eternally, you have defiled yourselves with the blood of women, and have fathered children through blood and flesh, and have lusted after the blood of men, just as they do, who are of flesh and blood, who die and are destroyed. Because of this, I gave them females, that they might impregnate them and bear for them children in this way, so that all their ways might not cease upon the earth. But you are one spirit who lived eternally, and did not die throughout all the generations of the world. And because of this, I did not make for you females. For as for the spirits of heaven, in heaven is their dwelling. And now the earthborn, having been conceived by both spirits and flesh, shall be mighty spirits upon the earth, and on the, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits will come out of their body, because they, have wrought, they were wrought from above. And out of the holy watchers is their origin of their creation, and their origin was desire. Therefore, they shall be called evil spirits. As for the spirits of heaven, in heaven shall be their dwelling. And as for the spirits conceived upon the earth, upon the earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the earthborn shall be like clouds of injustice, corrupting and oppressing and wounding and scattering those who are upon the earth. And so shall these vile spirits of the earthborn do. And they shall continue their course and shall eat nothing, but shall hunger and thirst and stumble. And these spirits shall rise up against the sons of men and women because they have come from them. One direct question I have for you about the text that you just read. Now, Aaron, I'm probably going to push things, but I will quote your translation. Verse 4, And though you were holy, and you were spirits who live eternally, you have defiled yourselves with the blood of women. Aaron, let's take a deep breath. We've already covered the possibilities of what happened to the cloven physically. As of right now, you and I have to put this on the shelf because it just said that from this point forward, the two, in fact, did become one flesh. And by some extrapolation, the angels themselves had cloven to the human women. So, I just want to bring that up right now. It just popped out to me like a sore thumb. That, obviously, we're going to have to cover this in the future. Something very bad obviously happened there. But, Aaron, everything you just read bears testament that we're not talking about exclusively about lust. Their intention was to gain children. Your thoughts on that? Why would they want to have children? What purpose would that serve, do you think? Um, 
if I before I get on that topic, because I already have with my own notes and my own um, uh, conclusions I have drawn to um, in the past few minutes, um, I'm just going to finish finish the exposition here. Um, in, in verse nine, it says that the origin of these uh, uh, nephilim was desire. Okay, and that is Thalamio, um, which is, um, which is, it means will, or literally desire. It's their, their wishes. Okay, and um, as I just studied different words and different verses describing this sin in the book of Enoch, continues to point this way and um, I'm just going to read because uh, that word that I just mentioned is in Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that was um, so this was their own will okay and it was apart from God and I think that was one of the big things that were going on, it was, I think there was some sort of deification that was going on in their minds. Um, uh, so I'm going to um, read from chapter 10, verses 6 to 8. You see what Aziel has done, who has taught all ways of unrighteousness upon the earth, and has revealed the eternal secrets that are in heaven, so that enough of it has become known to man. And Semyaza, who has given the authority to him to rule with him, being together. And they have gone forth to the daughters of the men of the earth, and have slept with them, and have defiled themselves, and revealed to them all kinds of sins. So they were... They were teaching these eternal secrets uh, for whatever reason. And I don't know if we're planning to touch on that later. Um, but I was just going to read that. And another one in uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 12, I believe. Um, it says, And when their sons have, have been slaughtered by each other, and they see the destruction of their beloved, then bind them for seventy generations in the valley of the earth until the day of their judgment and end together, until the end. The eternal judgment of the world. Okay, so, um, this is multiple times it says in Enoch, it calls the um, Nephilim, or the earthborn, the beloved of these fallen angels. Now, what comes to mind with this word "beloved"? Just from the top of your mind, what do you, what what comes straight to you? Well, what comes straight to me is it is a firstborn son. But the thing that really contrasts in my mind is why aren't they saying this of the women? They're not. They're not saying this of the wives. They're saying this. Of this, and, and you have translated this correctly, ladies and gentlemen. That's why you don't hear Aaron saying giants. The real translation to English is earthborn. That's the whole point. So that's, that's what comes to my mind, Aaron, is they are not using this same terminology to these wives they've taken. They don't call the wives their beloved. They call their sons this. Yes, and and why? Well, I take that word beloved, which is G27, and I come straight to Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And behold, a voice came out of the heavens and said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, stop it. Stop the bus right now. You're saying... Now, surely you're not saying what I think you're saying. You're saying this term beloved is being used... In the context that I said, like a firstborn son, but you're talking about an heir. That That's what you're talking about. This is the son, the special son, well, just like David and Solomon. We both know Aaron. 
that Solomon was not the firstborn son. He was not the heir. He was the anointed. And he took over the kingdom. And now let me just ask you this again. You're sure that's the same word that God used in reference to his son? Because if so, what you're trying to say is, well, I'm real hesitant to say it. I, I But... I'm having flashbacks to all the conversations we had as to why they were teaching the arts they were teaching because well I'm I'm very hesitant to say it but I'm going to have to. Are you implying that it was their intention to make for themselves messiahs? Is is that where you're getting at, son? Yes, um the um we know that in the New Testament uh, we touched on this before that uh, he that Christ is called the second Adam, correct? Yes, and he's also called the image of God, and um, the Son is the image of God because he became um, a man, okay? And um, so that word, uh, I did not realize that the same word for Adam. In, in, in some senses, can also mean likeness, and um, you'll be surprised on how what I how I figured that out. Um, I'm reading Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, um, and I'm going to go to verse 14. Okay, and the first thing you you people are going to say is this is the so-called Lucifer. Um, I always say Halel, uh, rebellion. And I believe that Azazel is not Satan, but he is this Halel mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. I don't know if we've touched on this in another broadcast before, but um, people associate this so-called Lucifer to Satan, and I think they're going to the wrong direction. And um, I should just go ahead and start reading. It says... How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, that is, Halel, son of the dawn. You have cut down, been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Okay? That word like is Dhamma. Okay? In H1819. Um, but if you go to the Hebrew, um, well, for that word Dhamma, there's an olive in the front of that. Here I am in verse 14. I'm just gonna look. It is, uh, Adama. So basically, just the name Adam with the hey at the end, and stressed differently. So if we were to interpret that, he wanted to make himself for himself an Adam, a likeness. And here we go straight to who is the Assyrian? He is supposed to be his uh, Christ, his Messiah. Well, Aaron, you're describing Revelation chapter, well, several chapters here. And they pull it off with this golem that they create, this image of the beast they create. create. So, so, you know, this is one of the big questions that has always been circulating in theology. Why did they make the image? Why? What's the purpose? Um, well, I think that's, it's, 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 that they were trying, they're going to try to demonstrate how they can be God. They're wanting to mimic Genesis in an inverted manner, but, um, that goes a little off topic. Okay. I tried to understand in my mind as I speculate to myself and I do this a lot, but I was just thinking on that. Um, there's a huge barrier between angels and humans, okay? 
angels are described as being greater than humans, correct? But why did why is mankind God's chosen people? The ones chosen for salvation. Because they were made in his image, correct? Okay, and the angels don't have his image. So say they wanted to mingle angel blood with human blood so that they could have something as great as an angel yet bear the image of God. Boy, you're really pushing the envelope, but this goes back to the image of the beast. You're saying that their, well, their intent remains the same. They wanted to make an image in their likeness to be like God. I understand exactly what you're saying. And now it makes sense as to why they create this golem in the first place, this image of the beast that they breathe life into. Yeah, but um, that it, that is another direction, but it's 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 not really what I'm getting at with what I'm saying that that that's why they're trying that's why that they, what they were trying to do they were trying to breed for themselves um, messiahs their own so-called beloved um, that would be angelic in power um, yet bear the image of God, because that would be the absolute, in their mind, that would be the absolute great greatest thing and that could ever be, because if it, if it is an angelic entity and yet it has the image of God, that's the perfect thing that they've wanted. And I think maybe that's why there's this, always been this huge uh, struggle between Satan and mankind, was because Satan wants to take that image. That's just my speculation. Well, what you're saying is is they really wanted to outdo God. And to be honest, it sounds like they didn't understand why God didn't do this thing. Yeah, they didn't have the wherewithal to understand, well, why didn't he just give us his image? So uh, this is clear lines of intent now just exactly why they wanted to do this to make for themselves well Adams, Messiahs in that intent to give the angelic provide the angelic provide the host with an image of God I'm sorry but that makes perfect sense because like I said uh they – and let me ask you this. In the Enoch text, does it ever use the word love or affection between the fallen and their wives? Does it ever use that verbology? Uh, no. No. It's always talking about their children, their children, their children. Basically, the women were objects think that was just part of the experiment and it's 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 only theoretical really because we know that man was made in the image of god then the woman was formed from him and we know that a woman looks drastically different from a man correct so um i mean i guess it's controversial does a woman technically bear the image of god so it I guess this could only be theoretical to these angels because, of course, you can't um, impregnate a man. So they have to make the woman, of course. They have to take their, quote-unquote, females, as um, Enoch chapter 15 describes. Um, so, so they were making an attempt here, but there wasn't 100% chance they, they could have gotten what they wanted. And that was how Christ, Christ was the perfect... The, the true Messiah, because he was completely man. He was also completely God, because he was born from human flesh. Okay? He, was com he came from, according to the flesh, he was from the, uh, the tribe of David. So, um, he had the image of God. Okay? But, but they don't have, but these Nephilim wouldn't have a human father. They couldn't have a man with that image. So, um, 
so this could, like I'm saying, this is only theoretical on both sides of the equation. But why did they want to make these messiahs? Why did they want all this? I mean, it was it in direct rebellion against God and things like that? And, um, of course, the popular belief is that Azazel wanted, well, this Lucifer figure wanted to um, literally take the throne of God and be God. But I don't think that's what it's saying here in verse 14. And it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and make myself like the Most High. I think what this these fallen angels wanted was to become lower, minor gods. They wanted to be a light god. They didn't want to be god. And um, um, we know that in polytheistic religions, there's always... Um, there, there could be hundreds, if not millions of gods, and um, but they always have the supreme deity, correct? That's right. No matter where you go, you have Marduk, you have Jupiter, you have Zeus. There's always a plethora of gods, but they're always the one god at the top of the food chain. Yes, it's it's always like that. So, what if these um, angels, which uh, Genesis chapter 6 calls them the sons of God, thought they could be minor gods. They could be, you know, a, a circle of, you know, gods that people worshipped, um, you know, God indirectly. So, they would pray to them, well, consider that... Take, say, for instance, I pray to this angel that maybe he could bring my message to God or such. And it's, it's um, let's just try to understand what an angel is, okay, what they can do. Um, just, um, could you give some examples of what angels, what were the abilities of angels um, shown in the scriptures? Well, with a single stroke, they laid waste to 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Uh, they can show up and manipulate uh, material, no doubt about it. Um, in Sodom and Gaborah, they literally uh, made the entrance to uh, Lot's house uh, go away. On top of that, mechanically, uh, they made the prisoners that were locked in a cell, uh, they made their chains open up so they can literally manipulate matter. Also, and, and like we, we know in the Gospel of John, it, it talks about how the angel went into the waters of Bethsaida, and whenever um, somebody went down into that water, they would be healed immediately. So... Like you're saying, they can manipulate matter, and if they're called sons of God, and in a few occasions they are called the Elohim, they are called, well, literally gods. But so that God gave them this this authority, they gave him his name, as you see that with um, in the Bible and throughout other angelic texts like the Book of Enoch that most angels bear the name El, the name of God, El. Okay, so they are, um, they are, the name angel describes what their office is, okay? They are his messengers, they are his, um, they are his word to us directly. So, um, what I'm getting at is, is say, um, if from a human perspective, if there's a being that can see the face of God, that can manipulate matter to his own will, to the normal person, that might be what they'd call a god. Correct? That is absolutely correct. And, and that's, that's what's always happened. Well, let's take a step back, shall we? This strange tale of them asking Enoch to pray for them, and of course this immediately irritates the Lord God of hosts. You're saying this is what they were trying to accomplish. Aaron, 
what you're saying is is that they wanted to make messiahs, and they would be messiahs because they had the power of an angel, but the image of God. You're saying that the angels thought that God would hear a demigod's prayer. In their eyes, you're saying that Enoch himself was in the image of God, therefore God would listen to him. That in of itself, and this has always been a strange tale, this answers the tale as to why they ever asked Enoch to pray for them. In their minds, he had the image of God, so God would listen to him. And that's exactly what you're describing. Am, am I correct that these messiahs that they were going to make, their beloved, you would go and pray to them, and they would answer the people's prayers. Is that what you're you're getting at? Um, I mean, at this point, I'm not. I'm still edgy. I'm not complete. It's not very clear what to me at the moment what the what their exact intent, what they really wanted these messiahs to do. But we know what God, what Christ was. He was the mediator between God and man. So, um, so maybe they wanted these so-called demigods to be mediators between the earth and heaven. You well well that's only half of Christ's job. His other job is being Christ the King. Now, this facilitates him being the mediator between man and God. Is he is the king. He's God's king. God says this numerous times in the scripture. So the only thing that makes sense to me is they wanted to be calling the shots, and they would tell their beloved uh, what the people were going to do. And these beloved of theirs was going to be exactly what I alluded to before. They were going to be Solomon's. They were going to be the people's kings. Do you think that's plausible? Yeah. I mean, just think about everything that Christ was, that Christ is. They... In their minds, and even in a human mind, we try to we try to understand that they, that Christ was the perfect Lamb because He was completely God and completely man. But if in, in even even in a human perspective, well, you could just have half God, half man. That's a demigod, ain't it? And that's what well, that's what they were trying to what these angels were trying to do. And I think that's what this what the false prophet is. They want to make their own perfect uh, Messiah, and uh, that's what they would call their beloved. Well, I, I hate to say this, okay, but look, um, the Bible is existential in its putting down of worshiping uh, that which, well, has no life in it. Images. The Bible calls this idols. It's called idols. But God repeatedly says that uh, these idols uh, cannot speak or talk. Correct? Uh, I mean... Correct. Look, uh Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, they all mention this. Now, now look. Let's go right to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 15. Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands, the craftsman, and sets it up in secret, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Well, we know that uh, uh, this is extremely bad to God, that they can't, uh, that they're worshiping things that can't talk, they can't move. And Aaron, you're saying that's what these beloved would be. They would be uh, idols that really could answer the people's prayer and give the people instruction, because we all know that's what the whole idea behind the Urim and the Thummim 
kept in the breastplate was. You would go and you would need to know what to do. Right? That's why most prayers are given. People don't know what to do, correct? They don't know, uh, should I plant wheat this year or should I plant corn? Now, Aaron, we both know this is true. If you know the future, if you know if you're going to have a, a a good crop, if you plant, let's say, barley, but you're going to have a bad year if you plant wheat because, you know, who knows, the barometric pressure, the amount of rain. Well, if you could ask God that, which one should I plant this year? And you're saying these beloved could have answered all those prayers. It would have turned these abomination, the work of man's hands, they were trying to <laughs> – they were literally doing just the opposite of what God said. These would not be the work of man's hands. These were the works of angels' hands. And when you put it into that context – and ladies and gentlemen, you can just read over and over and over. Okay, let's go to Psalms 115. Their idols are of silver and gold – the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound in their throat. It's weird how you how you mention um, cannot make a sound in their throat. That's right. The, they couldn't... Well, what I'm trying to say is they... Why does why is verse 7 there? Okay, let's read verse 8. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts them. The whole purpose, it, that's what I'm trying to clarify to you. Verse 7, they cannot make a sound with their throat. They can't answer the people's prayers. But these beloved could. They would literally be messiahs. To these angels, I find it kind of ironic how the how the demons in Christ's time would cry out with a loud voice, um, praying, begging him that he wouldn't, uh, well, damn them. More importantly, let's step back a minute. Well, what did they really not want him to do? They didn't want him to facilitate his role as king and pronounce judgment upon them. Let's look at it in that light. Yeah, they were very particular. They didn't want him to send them to a certain place, yada, yada, yada. That's not the point. They didn't want him to act like a king and administer judgment to them, correct? That's just another way to look correct. at it. So what you're saying is really driving home now. And like I said, this makes this whole idea balloon out the whole reason why they ever ask Enoch to pray for them. It's just jumping off the pages at me now that you bring it up. They were wanting to make kings that could really answer prayers and, more importantly, render judgments and tell the people what they wanted done. I mean, that's... The way it sounds to me. Your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, define what what Christ, everything Christ was, and try to give it in the light, in their light. It would, if they were to make messiahs for themselves, what, they, what would they have wanted? And um, so we just have to take into consideration everything that Christ was. He was both God and man. He was not mediator. Between God and man, he was he is the king. Um, he was our salvation. Well, you know, let's look at this phrase. Let's consider this phrase, Aaron. Deuteronomy chapter four verse twenty-eight. There you will serve gods, the work of man's hands. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-seven verse fifteen. Once again, he calls these images abominations, and what does he call them? The work of the hands of craftsmen, or man's hands. Deuteronomy 31, same phrase, the work of your hands. He keeps saying it. Uh, Psalms 115, I just read it, the work of man's hands. Psalms 135, 
the work of man's hands. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, multiple times, verses 3 and 9. Jeremiah chapter 25, which ties right into the riddle of Shishak. But here we go. Work of man's hands. Now, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold, silver, and of brass and stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. These beloved, their intent, their mens rea was to create the work of angels' hands. These things could do all those things, render judgment. And let's talk about answering prayer. Okay, Aaron? What did some of these angels uh, teach? Was it bad things? Uh, well, it, when you read uh, Enoch chapter 8, it describes everything that these angels taught. Okay? And they taught uh, simple things. Well, well, no, I, no, I shouldn't say simple, but um, innocent sounding things. Um, my translation in uh, for 7 verse 1 is, Each of them took for themselves wives of their choice of women and proceeded to go unto them and defile them and teach them pharmaceuticals and enchantment and brute cutting and show them botany. Um, chapter Chapter 8 uh, goes into more depth. Um, it says, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave Azel for last. But Samyaza says he taught enchantments and root cuttings. One, the breaking of enchantments. One, astrology. One, semiology. Um, astroscopy. Um, the signs of the moon. Um, and uh, so on. So just uh, she taught them just knowledge about the world. But when we read about Aziel, I think he had a little different intent. It says, verse 1, And Aziel taught mankind to make swords and weapons and shields and breastplates, the teachings of the angels, and submitted them to the metals and their crafts, and bracelets and decorations and antimony, and how to make themselves beautiful to behold, and all precious stones and dye. So, so you're saying that the majority of these, these things would be used to answer prayer. I'm sorry. I am sorry, but I'm going to definitively say that. It says it taught them root-cutting pharmacia, correct? Yeah. Okay, what you're saying is, is that these beloved... If someone come up to them and let's say now, – now let's get in real time. Let's get in real time. We know the effects of the fall. Aaron, I don't need to really elaborate on it. Did you get sick in the Garden of Eden? Did Adam and Eve – were they in fear of uh, getting Ebola? Yes or no? No. Okay, so if you come up. To one of these abominable idols that were not the work of human hands, but the work of angels' hands, don't you realize that if you came to them and you had a toothache, by their supernatural knowledge of pharmacia, they could tell you what roots to go get to eat to alleviate your tooth infection, and whatever else is needed to repair that tooth. They would be able to answer prayers using, look, Aaron, what, <laughs> when you go to Enoch chapter 8, your translation, it's perfectly logical why they were teaching these things. And Right out of the gate, I'm, I appreciate how you held the best one for last. 
teaching them how to conquer and why was the most important reason why people would conquer other lands. That's right, to get their food. Well, also to establish also to establish your own kingdom to make yourself king. And um that was that's a big uh, before you keep going, I just want to point out that that was a big problem uh, between the demigods and uh, such as Greek mythologies that they kept warring against each other. Say, what if you had two messiahs, okay, or three, okay? They're kind of, there's only one king, isn't there? And so, wouldn't that establish war? And and and. Aziel obviously knew there was going to be war. Right, and, well, it seems like to me that they established a race here. This was a race between them. They were going to choose lands, and then they were going to teach their particular people. Okay, so look. The angels listed here, they would have their own children in their own locality. And they would be established as kings there. And then they knew each other was going to try to take over the other's place and exercise dominion over their beloved. To me, it is obvious. Yeah, and I don't know. I guess me mentioning that part about the war was between the false messiahs was um, a little out of proportion because. This would have been before all that happened. I think what Azael... Let's think about what Christ will do when he returns in his second coming. It says that he will um, attack the earth with a sword that is in his mouth, which is the word of God. And he um, strikes down all the people, all the ungodly. So um, think about what these messiahs would have to do. They would have to just... I mean... Some people would be willing to give their kingdom over, but I think there might have there there is some violence that would need would need to ensue. They would have to claim their own territory. They would have to um, through conquering, like you said. So, in teaching these craft, they would be able to answer people's prayer. No doubt about it. And now it makes sense as to why the Bible repeatedly calls this of idols, that these people were praying to what they could not, and that was the work of their hands. And it's perfectly obvious to me this had nothing to do with lusting after women. They wanted to establish the work of their hands to be demigods just like you're, well, proposing. That's what makes sense, and not only that… That's what makes the whole reason why they make this image of the beast, and that makes a whole lot of sense as to why they ever ask Enoch to pray for them. Because he had the image of God. They wanted to combine their angelic power with the image of God, that being man. I'm sorry, but it makes perfect sense to me what you're proposing. It makes perfect sense. Now, you've made a lot of changes in this uh, translation of yours. Can you explain why you're using the term earthborn? Why aren't you calling them giants like everybody else? Can you explain that, please? Well, the word giant is um, an English, uh, well, degraded form of a transliteration of the Greek word gigantes. Okay, and gigantes, um, well, we know they were giants, weren't they? They were big. Okay, but but the actual meaning um, means earthborn. Okay, the the ones generated from the earth. Okay, and um, and of course, yes, these gigantes were inherently big, but if I say giants, and were to transliterate it that way, then people wouldn't really understand what it means. So I rendered it what the original Greek meaning was, the earthborn. 
So if we were to use this this type of translation, put that to Genesis 6, this would put a trump on this whole thing being uh, the sons of Seth and the daughters of somebody else. How they how these theologians will twist the truth to their own advantage when this text clearly says that the angels come down and mated with human women and they they lie. Let, let's just be honest. They lie and says that the texts say that no, it doesn't mean that. It means that the sons of Seth. What's your thoughts on that? Um well that is completely fabricated. The sons of Seth are never called sons of God or whatever. I mean, I just um but we know out of the book of Job especially that the angels are called sons of God and um that is rendered in the Septuagint and the uh in the uh book of Job it's also rendered angels of God. We know they're angels. I mean, I know that in the New Testament it says that Christ will give people the ability through his blood to become children of God. Okay? And, um, I've talked about this before. This goes way out of, um, in the other direction, but, um, sons of God, uh, literally, I think that saying literally means is they weren't born from man. Okay, as we know in the um, Gospel of Luke, it says, it gives the genealogy of Jesus through all the way from Jesus to Adam. Okay, and it calls Adam son of God. Okay, because Adam wasn't born from another human, from another dad. He was born from God, literally. God formed him out of flesh, out of the dirt. He was a son of God directly. If you're Seth, you're a son of Adam. If you're Cain, you're son of Adam. If if you're um, Enoch, you're the son of uh, Jared. Okay, you're not the son of God, and uh, that's why I think these angels are called sons of God because they were they were not they were not bred. Okay, they did not descend from anybody. They were created in the beginning by God directly. But I think I'm saying a lot of things, a lot more than um, what I think I'm saying. Since Christ made people to become sons of God. Right. He did so spiritually, no doubt about it. But let's go back to Genesis, okay? Because I, I, I let's, let's use your methodology for translation. This is what it would say if we translated the Septuagint into what Aaron just said. Now there were earth born on the earth in those days, and after that when the sons of God went into the daughters of men and they bore to them. These were the earth born of old, the men of renown. Now I take note that that form right there for Anthropos uh, I take note that that's exactly what is used in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Now, now take note, Aaron. This is the chapter that quotes from, that's right, the scapegoat chapter, Leviticus chapter 16. Verse 27, and it is appointed for man... To die once, and after that, the judgment. This is exactly what is the consternation with this whole problem. We know that when you go back to Genesis and read as to what happened, this is what made God so mad that, well, these things being the having the image of God made them anthropos, but... God was very mad because he said that his spirit would not uh, would only be limited to 120 years. Meaning, Aaron, do you think this is implying that these things would have been immortal? 
Is that where the whole idea of immortality comes from? Your thoughts on that? Uh, the concept of um, being immortal? Uh, well, it's kind of right there in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 6. It says... Um, my earth would not uh, my spirit will not strive with these men forever their years will be 120 years because they are flesh um and that's what it literally says and um I'm struggling to find uh, where it's in the book of Enoch that that God predicts to Enoch that they will ask him to grant their sons a longer life. Here it is in okay, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, and it says, And all their fathers will ask, and all that their fathers shall ask shall not be answered, though, their hope to live etern though they hope to live eternal life, and that each of them will live only 500 years. This kind of tells you the exact pinpoint to when all this was going to take place. This this conversation, this um, commandment that God gives to these archangels happened at about the time uh, Noah was born. Okay? And it, because 500 years later, um, I know, he was, Noah was 100 years old when he came and gave this uh, when God warned him to that he needed to build an ark, okay, and as the rest of Genesis 6 describes, okay, and then when Noah was 600, that's when the flood would come. So basically, this is giving you time frame for literally when this entire event happened that these angels were talking to God about this and God pronounced their judgment. But it also coincides with my theory about the 120 years being a variable, um, a different uh, pointing to a different variable of time before the flood. But uh, these, they wanted the their children to live eternal life. They thought they were going to, but as Genesis chapter six verse two says, "My spirit will not strive with these men." Okay, Septuagint says these men forever because they are but flesh. Nevertheless, their days shall be 120 years. So he limits their life. So what I was saying, you're, you're implying is exactly the case. That's why he said this. That's why God mentions... My spirit will only contend with man for 120 years. Well, just well, well, just consider what, what, why was that? Why did he say that in gen, between verses chapter, uh, uh, between chapter six verses one to four? It's it's just randomly right there in the middle of when it's describing this fall. Okay, just read it chronologically. Okay, Genesis chapter six. Verses 1 to 4, I'll read it over again. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, that the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for them whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My flesh will not, uh, my spirit will not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, after the sons of God and came into the daughters of men and bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old and men of renown. So you, if if you interpret verse 3 about um, my spirit will not strive with man forever, it's like you're completely taking this all out of context. This Him saying this had to do with this incursion, this sin that these angels were committing when they took these wives. Well, one thing is for sure. I think we have clearly established uh, what we were setting out to do, no doubt about it. Uh, we have certainly uh, put our fingers on uh, 
Well, the intent. The only problem is is that we've got to take the next legal step. Now, once mens re is established, the intent, you have to go to the, well, the actus reus. And Aaron, you just uh, pointed out something to me, and I took a look at it. Ladies and gentlemen, this next episode is going to be completely off the charts because uh, Aaron has stumbled across things that, oh, the acts they committed is way deeper than you thought, and it's right there in the Greek, inside, embedded in the Book of Enoch. And once it's keyed to Strong's, once you can see it, it will blow your mind. So, Aaron, your closing comments, please. Well, this was definitely revealing, and it was good to um, do another show again. It's been a while, and I'm Sorry about that. There's um, been a lot of uh, confusion going on in my side of the equation, but um, we're still pursuing as often as we can. It's good to be doing a few more shows again. Uh, God bless y'all. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me inform you of Aaron's situation. Aaron's going to school full-time, and he's also working at night and the weekends. So, uh, let's say a prayer for Aaron. Uh, he's being pushed to the limit. He's being throttled by the Lord his God. And he is absolutely doing the best job that he can do. And we're getting together every chance we get, and we're working on this translation right now. We're on the commentary. We're well deep into it. And he is going to get this done. It will be published before the end of this school year. He is going to be published before he ever enters an institution of higher learning. And not just any publication. He's going to put into your hands what all lay ministers need, have always needed, an Enoch translation keyed to Strong's. So please keep Aaron in your prayers. He's doing the best that he absolutely can under circumstances that no teenager should be going through. So, with that, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Conspiracy Theory, signing off.